Good morning. I would like to give an opportunity for anybody who would like to sit closer and forward to do so. All right. It's an opportunity. It's not a command. How are you? Good. We'd like to welcome and congratulate Jamal and uh, Monica on their wedding and their marriage. Welcome back. I should have welcomed you uh, last, last week, but uh, I did not. We did, well, we did announce it in absentia when uh, you were uh, uh, the Sunday after your, your wedding. But welcome, and we are very, very, very happy for you. All right. God bless you. Um, can you turn with me to Luke chapter 13 again? <laughs> we are on a theme on the kingdom of God, but there's a theme that that speaks a little bit of time and how much time we have. And uh, last, week we, uh, last week and the week before, we spoke about um, the, the little parable about the fig tree that had been fruitless. Yeah, it was fruitless. And the owner of the vineyard said, let's cut this down so that it will not cumber the ground. Yeah, and cumber the ground. And the gardener or the husbandman um, said, give it a year, give it to the end of the year, and I will dig around it and manure it. Yeah? It's a very interesting kind of phrase, dig and manure, dig and manure. That's what we always need. We need digging and we need manuring. I will leave it to you to work out the metaphor, especially about the manuring part. But, uh, but that's what God does to prepare us, yeah? There is a way in which we have, have limited time. Time is not forever. But the, the Lord does speak to us in view of what's about to happen. He who knows the end from the beginning does not um, manipulate time, but He actually allows us to have His guidance in preparation for what He knows is about to take place. Yeah? It is not that the Lord is impatient with us or that the the, the, the owner of the vineyard is impatient. That's not the point. The point is that, there are, that the Lord knows that there are seasons and there are strategies and there are things that God's doing which have a time, time um, frame on it. And God is actually preparing us in time. Yeah? And we'll talk more about this. Um, we spoke about that, but I'd like to turn with you to another aspect in chapter 13, that gives a little bit more urgency to this. Okay, let's uh, read from verse 22. Verse 22. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. 
when you will begin to say we ate and then you will begin to say we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets and he will say i tell you i do not know where you are from depart from me all you evildoers in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see abraham and isaac and jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of god but yourselves being thrown out and they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. It's a pretty sobering passage, don't you think? It's not one of those happy passages that we, we like to choose. I'd like to read another passage of Scripture that is going to be related. And that had to do with Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. And you may find that it doesn't seem to be connected, but it is. Verse 10, in the same chapter. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who, who for 18 years, had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, she called her over. He called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from the bond on this Sabbath day, the Sabbath day? And he said this, and as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Yeah. The question I have for, 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 for us is, is, how did Jesus know that she had been bound by Satan for 18 years. How did he know that? Can we know these kinds of things? We call this the spirit of discernment. Discernment is not a figuring out of things. You know, sometimes we think of discernment as a person who's very wise, very sage, very analytical, and who's sort of able to sort of figure things out and discern whether this is the right way or the wrong way. I put it to you that actually that's not discernment. That's something, but it's not discernment. The gift of discernment is when you are impacted by, you, are, you receive communication direct from God about what's going on. Discernment is a thing that comes to you from God. It's not something that you generate out of your own wisdom or cleverness or you're figuring things out. Discernment is something that comes from the other side. And what Jesus was saying is, is I was fascinated by that, that he was saying, as he looked at that woman, this woman has been bound by Satan for 18 years. Wow. You know what most of us would believe? We will say, is this spiritual or is this physical? That's the wrong question. This is a, the question that comes when we don't have discernment. When you ask that question, you don't know. Knowing hasn't come to you. But when you have discernment, you don't ask questions like that. Because you will, you will have been shown by God what's going on. That's what God has for us. Amen? I just want to put that before you and we'll come back to that, that point. But um, I, 
I'm struck by this chapter, chapter 13, and I shared with you a few weeks ago that I felt the Lord had, had put this chapter was totally out of my, my, my kind of framework of view, and, uh, and I began sharing this for the past few weeks. But today, we come to this part where it's talking, talking about the narrow door and the, and the broad door. And uh, the, the big question that disciples were asking Jesus is this, Will a lot of people come into the kingdom of God or a few? Yeah? Will a few? He, they were saying uh, in, in chapter 13, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Are just a few being saved? And I wonder whether you have that question. Is it a real small minority who are going to be saved? Or is it easy to be saved? Is it easy or hard? Is it few or many? What do you think? There are some who are saying, there's only a few, a measly few. And you look at them and you think, oh, you guys are so small-minded. Just a few. The rest, go to hell. And then there are some who are saying, no, Jesus' love is so great. It's broad. Anybody can come. So is it few? So the disciples were asking that. I think that's something that we all want to know, right? Is it few or is it many? Correct? Some of you are worried when I'm asking you this question. Because you've asked the question, am I going to make it or not? And some of them will say, we'll find all kinds of ways to say, oh, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Well, no, Jesus' love is full of compassion. Mercy triumphs over justice. All that kind of stuff. And you would say, oh, good, good. I keep these, these, these people with me, okay? I, I like these people. These people are, uh, are encouraging. And then there'll be others who will say, no. You are going to hell because you live a very unrighteous life and you are following the world. You're following social media. You watch movies. You drink alcohol. You do all these things. You are not going to heaven. And so who? And sometimes as Christians, we, 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 we jump from one to the other, especially when we don't have an assurance that God has called us as His own. Now, I'm going to put it to you that, that this is not necessarily just talking about going to heaven. I'm talk, I believe that what Jesus is especially talking about is the life, the abundant life of those who are close to Him who have been given the secrets of his heart and who he wants to raise up and to gift as people with that abundant life, that close company of people that act in his place, that know him. And because they know him, they do his works, his exploits, so to speak. I put it to you that actually this closed door, open door, it's not just an issue of heaven, of salvation. It has to do with coming in on the inside with Him. And, uh, and we, you know, I, I, I swear to you, I did not compare notes with Cindy when she was doing communion. But the Lord is actually opening up and inviting us to come on the inside. He's saying, I want you to come in. I want you to be close to me. I want to share you my, with you my secrets so that you can do my works. What say you? 
I think that's what God really is, is looking for. But there is a time limit. We tend to, as Christians, think of Christianity as a set of principles that are transcendent, that are timeless. So we try to work out these principles of God in a timeless way. What I mean by time, timeless is like, we just do what the, book, the good book says, you know? We just live by these principles. We just live by the principles of the good book. You know, judge not, you will not be judged, you know? Um, principles of being righteous. If, you, if you're righteous, then things will go well with you and all that. I want to put it to you that actually, that framework is not adequate when you're talking about Scripture. The Scripture speaks about the kingdom of God as something that is dynamic, it is moving, and it has time involved in it. That is, that is that God knows the end from the beginning, and He actually deals with us in the context of time, of what's about to happen. He does things in a timely way. He prepares us for calamities that are about to take place. Martin Hengel, one of the greatest, great German scholars, wrote, wrote, wrote this book, The Charismatic Leader and His Followers. And he speaks about the fact that everything in the, in the scriptures is what we call eschatological, in view of something that's about to take place, in view of the fullness of time. And when God brings Himself into our midst, what He means is this, He knows what you're going to face. He knows what's about to take place in this country. He knows what's about to take place in this world. Everything he does is in preparation for that. When John the Baptist came on, upon the scene, he did not just preach timeless principles. He spoke, and Luke says, to get a people prepared for the Lord. In a few years, Jesus was going to come, and he will be crucified, and he will be risen from the dead. And a few years later, there will be tremendous turmoil that would take place. And by 80, AD 70, the, complete, the temple was completely destroyed. 8135, the Bar, Simon Bar uh, rebellion dis, distributed the, 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 the nation of Israel far in far-flung areas, and most of them never came back. The ten tribes of Israel are lost completely. So, John the Baptist, Elijah, he was preparing a people for God, preparing a people for eventualities. So we see... Even um, not only Elijah, but the, the, the school of the prophets, they were people who were being prepared, a select company of people who had a heart for God, prepared so that when darkness would come upon Israel, they would be lights in a time in which, like, the, uh, like uh, Scripture does sometimes say, says, everybody did what, what, does what is right in their own eyes. Yeah? There's a way in which God deals in time knowing what the times are. We have no idea what the times are, but He prepares us. Does that make sense? Not only that, He prepares us knowing how difficult life is. This universe, I have to tell you, is the best universe we can ever have. It works by physics. It works by regularities. And doesn't work by magic. The fact is that science works and physics works. The fact also is that God calls us as a people with choice and with free will. And because of the fact that we are valuable and that He has made us 
worthy, we also, it's all bound up with the fact that we have free choice. And because of the fact that free choice, he does not want us to love, us as, love him as automatons, but with choice. That means we have the choice to do evil, and so does everybody else. And evil has consequences. We're not in Disneyland in which consequences can be sort of muffled over. Consequences live on just because the world is natural. Does it make sense? So we are living in the best possible world because you can actually predict things fairly, fairly fair, based upon logic and rationality and reason. Does that make sense? It's not a magical world. It's not Disneyland. But it's the best world that we can ever have. Okay? And because of that, we have to see that the world is not manipulated by God. It's he's, when bad things happen to us, there are actual reasons for that. Not reasons in which God made that happen, but it's reasons because these are outflows and outcomes of things, choices people make or even mistakes, or the fact that physics works. If I happen to f walk under a, a tree that for some time has been uh, uh, rotting, and it happens that just at the moment the tree falls on me, it doesn't fall on me because it is evil, or that God made it happen, but because physics works. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, we are living in a horrific world. That's why this is the best possible world, in spite of the fact that it does include tragedies. Also, some people call bad luck. Now, when in, in, in my Chinese culture, when people say bad luck, they mean something more than just fact, the fact that the chances and permutations and combinations work. They mean there's a spirit behind that. Spirit of bad luck as well. That's why the Chinese and Chinese New Year, the first thing they do is they gamble. Because at the beginning of the, of the, of the, of the year, they want to test their luck, right? If they, they win a lot of money when they gamble on Chinese New Year, then they will make, take risks. If not, then forget about that. I don't even know why I said this. But the point, the point is that, the point is this, we live in a world that is not just personally evil, but it's just evil in a neutral way. Just because there is choice and there's also physics that actually works. Now, it is into this world that Christ came to redeem and to call out a people with purpose and meaning and destiny in spite of the fact that the world is horrible, yet the best possible world that's possible. Okay? So he comes into this one and he warns us and he prepares us and he has a plan for us and he has a strategy and he has a family for us and he has a call for us and he, he gives us the hope that when things get really dark, he will have prepared us for that. And that's how you enter in through the door, the narrow gate. Does that make sense? He puts seeds in us. He puts the leaven in us. The leaven of supernatural and divine things so that we will be morally, morally not just prepared so that we'll survive the evil day, but we will actually be used by God and we will shine in that way. 
so I'm, I'm sorry I have to belabor this a little, bit, a little bit more theological. The idea is this. The whole Bible is framed in time. Time is moving. Old Testament, New Testament, things are happening. And God is, is, is not manipulating. He's moving and He's calling people and preparing people for the things that are about to come. This God is dynamic. And the Christian life is dynamic. It is a way. It is a river. It moves with time. God, who is timeless and transcendent and eternal, enters into time and He says, okay, I'm going to prepare you. I've called you. I give you a certain kind of destiny and I prepare you a certain way and you need to be on, me, on with me. If, because if you take these things lightly, you will be out of time. Does that make sense? Because I'm committed to time, God says. He's committed to the way things move, like a river. And so, if you look at that, that way, you'll find that all over the place, God calls out people and prepares them for an eventuality. Martin Hengel's book, um, The Charismatic Leader, talks about the fact that the discipleship that we see in the scriptures is not just reading Torah and just learning uh, scholastic things, but actually being prepared to be able to be, able to be empowered in these mysterious things, these mysterious things that do supernatural good and power. So we as a people are not passive Christians. We are people who are active when the presence of God comes. That's why I was mentioning during worship, when we are worshipping God, we are not being entertained. We are actually entering into the action of what God's doing in real time. Woohoo! Yeah, we are entering. So we never want to go into worship like just like, okay, Daniel, you do it for us. And what we never want to do is to have a worship team that's worked so hard to make it sound good so that we can be entertained. No. Sometimes the, 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 the best place for us to be trained is not in the filled Coliseum, but in Adulam's cave where it's rough. So that we all get, in, get involved. Amen. All right, let's get, let's get to this then. It's in this light that, uh, that Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say, I do not know where you are from. I do not know where you are from. So we are talking about the one year that Jesus was talking about to dig up and manure. And now we're talking about the fact that, yeah, we don't have ultimately endless time. There is a time frame that's involved. And this, my appeal, of course, to you is to really get involved. Reading God involved with God. He's serious with God, yeah, in this. Because he's doing stuff. Our call as a church is to prepare a people who will have the requisite strength, faith, fortitude, insight, personal knowledge, and wisdom to display strength and do supernatural exploits. Yeah. So this church is not just a church that is for an exclusive group of people who want to be in, who are really into God. Actually, as a church, 
we feel that God is calling us, as He's calling other churches, to prepare people so that when times get darker, they will be ready for it. But there is a, as you can see, a time cap. There's a time stamp on it, and uh, we don't have that much time. And so I'd like to talk about this, so that we can uh, prepare ourselves. Sometimes we can say, "Well, I've got a family. I've got small children. I've got big children, or whatever." And come. Uh, some people call them encumbrances. I don't think, I think they're investments. And what God is saying is this, for you especially, especially those of you who are parents, you need to be so filled with the wisdom and the power and the strength and, and the testimonies of God's miracles that you can pass it on to the children because there will come a time in which your children will not believe what, just what you said. But if they've experienced with you the miracles of God, then they will believe it, not because you said it, but because of the fact that they lived, with it, lived it with you. And so I believe that there's something, especially for those of us who are parents with children, especially us, we need to know that. We know that, we need to know that this is not some elitist call or some ex ex exclusive call for some people to be really, really, really serious with God, but it's a call to be prepared. I believe that every church has a dimension, and uh, God has for us a desire to be in the land, in the places where the non-Christian world intersects with us, and that He can be known there. In Psalm 87, it says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves, loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. But of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Lord will count when he registers the people. This one was born there. And those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, all my springs of joy are in you. Just to summarize a little bit of what, what this is saying is that he's saying, the Lord, the, the mountain, of course, is the mountain of intimacy and prayer. He builds his foundation of, of the, the foundation of the church in this place where we are together and we are in his presence. The foundation of the church is not the, the foundation that we have physically. It's not the board. It's not the leaders. It is the presence of God. It's on the mountain. The foundation is built there. If you want to be a person who is involved in what God's doing on time, be involved in on the holy mountain because he's building a foundation for us. I believe that he was started doing that in three years ago when COVID started, when we started daily prayer. But daily prayer is not necessarily the only place where he does that. There are other places as well, but I would definitely say when we come together and pray, we know that God is putting a foundation in us. And then the psalmist is very interesting because he says in Philistia, in Egypt, in, 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 in Ethiopia, in different places, whenever these people who are of that company are found there, they are distinctively dis 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 discerned and, 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 and uh, recognized. 
oh, this one, this came from Zion. Oh, this one has certain characteristics. They're the Zion characteristics. Isn't that amazing? They come from this church. Oh yeah, we know people from that church. They're like that. I used to be a part of a, a, a church in which whenever we, wherever we went, people from other churches, oh, you guys are spiritual gurkhas. You know, you know who the gurkhas are? Short, very handsome guys. Yeah? They're from Nepal. But fierce fighters. They fight with the, the chukri. You don't know that? What? They were, they were heroes and they, they distinguished themselves during World War I and World War II. Very cheerful people. Very hospitable people. But when they went to war, they were feared. The Japanese feared them greatly, even in Malaysia, in Malaya, in, in the jungles. Um, there's a certain way, a certain distinctiveness that comes from every body of Christians that God has been preparing in a certain way. And so Psalm 87 talks about the fact that in the midst of this, there are people that are being prepared, just like John the Baptist uh, was, was preparing a people for him, for that. You want to be in a company of people who are distinct by virtue of what God is doing in them. They can hear from God. They can display strength. They know what to do in times of crisis. They're not intimidated. They're not craven, afraid to not make a stand. They can stand alone, and in the midst of stand, standing alone, when the waves come in, they can just, unlike King Canute, right, stop the waves. They can do that. They are people who are not, in, not intimidated. They can stand alone. They can, be, they can be stripped of everything else, and they will survive. Not only will they survive, they'll create an oasis wherever they are. They're like Isaac. You take away his well, he'll just go and make another one. He'll go into the desert and he'll make a well. That is meaning in church. It's not a whole bunch of thousands of people who come in and you don't know what their, what their distinctive is. It's a, it's a way in which God's preparing us meaningfully for what's about to come. And no one can, take, 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 can boast about this because it is not something that we have in, in ourselves. It's not an elitist thing, but it is something that God is doing seriously for the days to come. Amen? And so, I believe that when, when Luke chapter 13, the, the passages we just read, talks about this, this door, he's talking about something that comes from a certain intimacy with him. And I believe that we don't have to look at this passage in a way that is with fear and trepidation in the negative sense, but with very great soberness, knowing that we don't have all the time in the world and that God is doing something, because, not because he's, 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 he's manipulating history, but because of the fact that He, is, he knows what's about, what we are about to face. Amen? Okay, so let's, let's, let's see this. Jesus talks about the time, the time in which there are certain people who did not go the na- by the narrow gate. They didn't strive to enter into the narrow gate, but who entered in too late. And they pled with him, and they gave two arguments for why they should be let in. The two arguments were this. One, you preach in our streets. 
That means we heard your teaching. Two, we ate and drank in your presence. That means you were around when we were doing our stuff. Yes? They were not adequate arguments. Because in those arguments that they have, it shows how inadequate was their response to God. But these were the things that, were, that they, they, they were depending upon, they were relying upon to be accepted into the, into the, to the house. They relied upon the fact that he had taught and they had heard what he was teaching. Then secondly, that he was around them. He was familiar with them. And they were around him. Yeah? And both of them, both of these arguments reveal their attitude, actually. Because they depended upon teaching to qualify them. The thing about it is that God is personal. And because He's personal, He doesn't just teach us things as a resource for us to do whatever we, want, we like with it. He comes to us personally and He speaks these things to us and then He hovers over us. That is the difficulty. Because Christianity sounds great, but when it's just a matter of applying it any way we want, without Him being around and hovering over us, it, it's not actually Christianity. He has to hover. He has to come. He has to be around us. And those of you who are married, you understand this. You can say one thing, to your children, but your husband or your wife will tell you whether you're actually doing it. I'm supposed to take my blood pressure every morning and every evening. And I can tell you, I'm supposed to take my blood pressure every morning, and that's my, my process. But my wife will tell you, Cindy will tell you, whether I actually do it or not. But not only that, Today at 8 o'clock in the morning, she said, did you take your blood pressure? And I had not. When we come before God, the only way in which we can be intimate with Him is when we come to Him, not with His teaching and His principles, but we come to Him and we listen to Him as if He's personally speaking it to us and we are accountable to Him. It's one thing to talk about having a quiet time and praying and doing all this kind of stuff, it's another thing to have Him right there and hovering over us and call us to account. The, 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 the people of the broad door, so to speak, the wide door of Christians, didn't do that. They didn't respond to Jesus personally. When they prayed to Him, they were caught up in their own stuff. They were more focused upon themselves than upon Jesus. Right? They didn't take what He said seriously. Because it's only when you take things seriously that these things form you. Don't you know? Yeah? Don't you feel that? It's only when you take it seriously and you begin to be relating to God, who's the Almighty God, who doesn't let you go, that we begin to see God actually pressing into you. My appetite has been 
the same with food as well. My wife is constantly, Cindy is always constantly pressing me, and it's good, I need it. Because it's one thing to intellectually know what's good for you, it's another thing to be formed into it. That means a breaking, it's like what she said, a crushing of the seed. I, as a seed, can imbibe all the good things unless I relate to God personally, my seed will not be crushed. It will be continually independent of everything that I've heard. So that my knowledge is just knowledge that I control, but it does not catch me. Amen? So I want to put it to you that when we talk about prayer, I really, really feel that somewhere along the line, that gap between me and you when I'm, when I'm preaching about it, I'm talking about it, has to be somehow covered and bridged by Jesus' presence. And the and, and, and way in which we all take His presence so seriously with such fear of God that we say, I want to do this. And I'm not free not to do it. How about that? I hope this doesn't sound like legalistic to you. It's personal. It's not legalistic, it's personal. It's saying, Lord, I don't know whether I'm prepared for the days ahead. I can run, but I don't know whether where I'm running to is actually going to work. But I, I need you to prepare me. There's a group of people that, um, who, who were used by God in the Indonesian revival in the outer islands. Um, um, and this group of people were a company of people that were called the Lawang Bible College. Lawang Bible College. And I heard about them when I was an undergraduate. And they did tremendous exploits. They would go, they would be trained, a man by the name of Father Ed Stube, went to Indonesia and, and, and lived in the, in the area um, um, in, east, uh, in the eastern islands of Indonesia, not Sumatra, the other aspect, the other, the other side of it. And he began to train young boys and girls in the work of hearing from God, developing faith, living a holy life, breaking fears, and allowing the presence of God to be so strong enough that they were able to, to, um, to take their, their little boats and go from island to island and preach the gospel. So when I was growing up in the church that I was a part of, I lived on the, the, the stories of this these youngsters from the Lawang Bible College, and wherever they went, revival would break out, miracles would take place, people would be saved, um, witch doctors would come and confront them, and they would be converted, and they would be struck by the power and the like, lightning. They saw tremendous things documented, photographed, and, all, and reported in newspapers. These young guys, they did not have that much education, but Father Ed Stoop came in and he just trained them. And he was there for many years, 20 years. And, 20, and, and over 20 years, he built up so many um, young um, ministers of God who, were able to, who needed very little. They did not need money. In fact, his training of them was that they would go out without a cent. Something like Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Not one rupee. And they would go, and they would go and minister, and, and, and very little instructions would be given to them. They would say, you follow the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you're going, but you've got to go in that direction, 
and the Holy Spirit will lead you. And they'd been trained, they knew how to move. And then they moved, they would come into different places. Some of them, they were very hostile, some of them were very friendly. But revival took place in many of the islands. Uh, Indonesia has hundreds of, of islands. And many of them became uh, totally Christian now because of this Lawang Bible College. But the, the, the thing about it is that every one of them that I spoke to who came to, to our church in, in Malaya, Malaysia spoke about one thing. And this is, this is found in Luke chapter 13, the passage we were looking at. It says, verse 24, Strive. Agonizomai. From which the word agon, agon, or agony, comes in. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And what they would tell me all through would be saying, we all at first wanted to be used by God and we loved the fact that God was you know, pouring out His Spirit in the charismatic movement and things like that. And we wanted to be used by God. It was so exciting. It was so romantic to hear about these things. And then we hit the agon, the struggle, the striving, the, the, the walls and all that. And then it began to... Then we began to realize that we had to pay a price for that. And we had to always ask, is the price worth it, worth it or not? For many of them, they had been persecuted by their families because many of their families were Muslim. And, uh, and, and, and some Muslims are more extreme because in the Quran, if one person becomes a Christian, specifically Christian, the family has to kill them. So to enter into the door was hard, not because God manipulated things to make it hard for them, but because of the fact that life is hard and people make choices. And the question is, in the context of that, can we survive? And what Jesus speaks about is the fact that in the midst of this, we can more than survive. And so these people will share with me things that had to do with the the agon, the agony, the striving that actually happens. And this is a striving that's not a striving of the flesh, but it's a striving that comes when we have to make a choice before God because it is going to be worth it. Amen? All of them got used by God. So whether it was in the Philippines or in India, or in different places, when they knew, oh, this, this person is from Lawang Bible, Co- Bible College. They said, oh, yeah, we know about you. We know about you. May God say that of BCFers, amen? <laughs> not for any pride of our own. Not for any pride of our own. We, we should rebuke each other if we have any pride about that. That's un, unacceptable. Unacceptable is it's, it's a sacrilege to even be boastful about it. But there is something that God wants to do. That's why He wants to manifest His glory. Yeah? And so, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's carry on. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Let me go back to my notes. Yeah? There's a way in which some things that are more precious, take longer to learn. They just take longer to learn. 
I can learn academic things quite fast, maybe a lot slower now, now I'm 65. But these academic things, things that have to do with theology and all that, they're actually quite easy to learn. Theology is deep, but it's not the hardest thing in the world to study. Yeah. But there are things that are more precious that take time, and they have to do with being able to do the things that Jesus did. Yeah? You remember the story of um, the boy who was demon-possessed and the de demon inside him kept on throwing him into the, into the fire? And, uh, and the disciples tried to, to cast out demons from him. Remember that? And they couldn't. They couldn't. And, and the father of the boy was very frustrated. He had brought them to the disciples. Jesus had been on top of the mountain with the other two. And he, came, and, and he came down and he saw this commotion that was taking place because people were fighting and arguing. The disciples were giving reasons why they couldn't cast out the demon. And the father was saying, your, your disciples can't even cast out the demon. If there's anything you can do, please do it. Jesus says, if there's anything, all things are possible for those who believe, right? And then he says to, he says, he says to, to the disciples, how long have I got to be with you and you still don't know? How long must I endure you? Now, I don't believe this is Jesus being peevish or being irritated, irritable or anything. I believe Jesus was saying, there are things that take time but over time, my expectations is that you will catch not knowledge, but the authority, the power. How do I learn something so much so that it manifests the substance of it? That is what we are dealing with, don't you think? And so what he was saying, Jesus was saying is this, there's ways in which these things that are you can't just learn cognitively. You have to learn relationally, obediently, attentively, humbly, and in a broken spirit. You have to be so humble. You have to be so crushed. You have to be so crushed. You have to come to a point in which you have no life in and of yourself except God. You don't have God fit into your stuff. You fit into God. You are emptied of yourself. For the eternal and powerful and supernatural, the glorious things of God. Some of you today, you are saying, I'm willing for that. Life does mean nothing to me. And a lot of times, people who are willing to be used by God are those who have nothing left in this life. They have nothing left. They're saying, what is life to me? I've, it's gone. It's over. It's over and done with. I'm all for Jesus, and I don't care what, what, what happens. I want what He has. And then there are a few who have a lot of money, who have a lot of position. They have a lot of things to lose. But they saw the pearl of great price, like the, the rich merchant, and they says, I still consider that more important, and I'm willing to do that. I've seen both. I've seen both. It's not only those who have no resources or come to the end of themselves, but there are those who have a lot. And they said, I don't consider that more important than what Jesus has for me. And what, what has happened, what, what what's taking place here is this, that as God, as, as, 
as Jesus strived. Yeah. As there's a striving to actually come to the end of ourselves and we find that we have two things, our life and the life that God has for us. And after all the calculations, we say, it is worthwhile to give it up for Jesus. Okay? And it is this that causes us to enter into a relationship. Those of you who are married, you know that. Husbands sometimes experience tremendous pressure from outside just to break apart from the wife. Same with the wife and the husband. There's pressure. If you enter into a relationship with, of, of intimacy, there comes a time in which it's telepathic. Slowly getting there. I should be better than I am now. But we're slowly getting there. And because of the fact that we love each other and we're willing to love each other to, to, the, to the extent of everything else being lost. Same with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I tell you, this is, this is something that is important because the days to come will show us what the worth of that is. Yeah? And in order for us to, to experience this, we have to understand that there is also, um, coming back to their, their justification for, for being let in, there's this part. They not only said to Jesus, you taught where we were, so that the pressure of his personal call to us is felt, but also they said, we, we ate and drank where you were. You were there. If, now, if I was the master of Jesus, I would say, did you not notice me? I was in your presence, but you were eating and drinking unto yourself. You're doing it unto, me, unto yourself. Your agenda was yourself, and I was in your presence. Yeah? I was in your presence. You were not living unto me. You were living unto yourself. You had this thing that was going on between you guys, in which you were hoping that I would help you to make this thing that you had going between you guys enhanced. But it was not for me. And what Jesus, what, what the, 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 the protestations were that, you know, you were with us. You were with us. No, I was not with you. You were doing it unto yourself. You were drinking and eating and all for yourself. You came to church. You were involved. You were involved in community. You didn't discern the body of Christ. You discerned community. And what I mean by community is, and I'm not making a, 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 a dig at anybody or any, any kind of usage of the word, but I'm saying that you saw the church as only community for the mutual benefit of each other. You don't realize that from heaven, God gave his life for your brother and your sister, for this body of people. And that the church is not just a mutual benefit society. It's the church that I love. And you will have community in that. You'll have koinonia. You'll have all these things. But these things are not the definition of church. The church is the place where I, I not only love it, but I call it up to me. 
not unto yourselves. But if you're called unto me, you will find each other and experience a love that is not like the love that you can have in community. If you use the word community as mutual benefit. What God, what Jesus is saying is this, you're living your life Christian, but your Christian life is not unto me. It's using me. And so I'm there every day watching you drink and eat and benefit yourself and each other, but you, you're not aware of me. Because of that, you don't know me. And I don't know you. It's not that the God who knows everything doesn't know. It's just that I'm not entered into a relationship in which we are married. Does that make sense? Intimacy comes from this relationship of commitment. And sometimes the commitment doesn't feel good, doesn't feel lovey-dovey. It doesn't feel the, all the, the, the nice, nice feelings. It is just a commitment to seek the other person's good. It's not passive. And so what Jesus was basically saying is this, I give you opportunities to enter in with this, this room. Please take them. Please take them. I want you to be part of that company of people who know me really well and which I can recognize you. That is what I have for you. But there will come a time in which things are so difficult that when you try to enter in, it's very hard. When things are so confusing, when things are so dark, when things are so deceiving, you are trying to enter into the kingdom, but everything is more confusing than anything else. The door seems to be shut. And what he basically says is this, depart from me. I don't know where you come from. It's a kind of a, a, a rabbinic phrase that basically says, I do not acknowledge you. I do not acknowledge you. Not that I don't know where you're from. It's just I don't acknowledge you. I don't believe necessarily that it's about heaven. I believe it's about the riches of intimacy with God that God has for us. And I believe that God has this for us as a church. That's, what we, that's why we exist. There are some things in this period in which God is forming us on the mountains that are formed better in Adullam's cave rather than on the Coliseum filled with people. There are some, going to be some things that God is doing in our midst that are rough, that are small, that are personal. Just like our worship today. It's a bit harder to move in the gifts of the Spirit when there are a few thousand people, don't you think? In a coliseum filled with, with, with people. It's easier when it's Adilum's cave, when you're in a cave and you can make mistakes with each other, don't you think? So I believe that God has given us time as a church and He's training us. I want to invite you to think about it in that, in that way. Finally, how are, how are some ways in which we can, we can follow God? Number one, I would say accept the path that God has for you, even though the path is difficult. I've found that many times I have balked against the path that God has for me. 
I have counted the cost. And many times I felt there are a lot of things easier for me to do, more gratifying than the path that I've taken. But that is the path for me. And, there's a, and I can see the door is really narrow for me. And nobody else will know it. No one, will know, no, no one else will know how restricting and crimping that narrow door is. Sometimes I feel the door is so narrow, I can hardly breathe. But there's a narrow door for us, and God will bring us through that. Accept the door that God's given. We live in a society in which it's easy for us to run away from the door that God has for us and to look for some other better, wider door because everybody's going through that door. In fact, values and structures of, of, of valuations are based upon the wide door, not on the precious things that God has. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is be personally present to whatever God is speaking. Always ask God in our devotions, what do you want me to do differently in the light of that? Third, go bit by bit. Don't be discouraged when you feel that the Holy Spirit is on you saying, do this, pray for this person, speak this, don't speak that. Go and follow my, 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 my leading and you do something, and the results don't seem to be that copious, not spectacular. You are growing, just like the seed is growing. Amen? Don't be, don't be, don't be discouraged when you see little results, little results. Rejoice. Rejoice with your brother and sister in Adulam's cave. Because in Adulam's cave, small things are valued. In the Colosseum, maybe not. In the Colosseum, people only see things that are obvious and drastic. But in Adilam's cave, when we all peer over a small thing that we've prayed for, and God shows a little bit of movement, we all rejoice. I used to be in a part of a church that was, was, was really small, and, uh, and uh, we would pray for things. We would pray up a storm for a small thing. I remember praying for this, this brother who, who I met with an accident and needed a new motorcycle, moped. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have money, he didn't have money, and we felt so poverty-stricken, so powerless. But we prayed, and God somehow gave him that moped, secondhand. You never find a group of people so grateful for so little than my church. But because of that, we, we saw the particle getting a bit double in size. We saw little movements of God, and by doing that, we knew how God moved. We didn't wait for big things that are, that, that are so, so big that even a person who's blind can actually see it. No, we waited for the small things. Don't be discouraged by small results. Amen? We are growing. So for, for a child, the results that are expected for a child are not that spectacular. Don't let the media impose upon you a scale of return that is not commensurate with you. Does that make sense? You're not there to expect millions of, of fruit and, 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 and results and dollars on, or, or converts and all that. No, you do the one. Because when you have the one, you appreciate that one, you praise the Lord sky high, you jump up on the pews for that one. 
And when you have that one, you get to the feel of the increase. Amen? That is really important because for all of us, we should sometimes be, in, give, be imposed upon us a scale of, of, of expectation that is completely not commensurate with where we are. If we're just growing, just grow. Amen? Be patient and be humble about it. <laughs> all right. Hallelujah. And that is the end of my sermon. I ran out of things. My notes came to an end already. Let's pray. Haggai prophesied to the nation of Israel and he said, Consider your ways. You have asked for much, but forgot very little. Bring, go up to the mountains and fetch timber. Don't live in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruin. The house of our own individual life, our life with God, can be extended to mean the body of Christ the temple of the Lord. For some of us, we've neglected that. But God has given us time. Don't be stumbled by the fact that it's harder than you expected because when it's hard, then we call upon the name of the Lord and we fix our eyes upon God and we concentrate and pray differently. More desperate, more fixed more tenacious because that tenacious tenacity will save you and save me. We don't go for something easier. We accept the path that God has for us. It may be a job that you're in or it's a, it's a place that you're living. It's a situation you find yourself in, born into. God will make those valleys places of springs. Talk to God right now. There are some, a few, who will say, I want to give my all to Him. It is worth it. I discern that it's worth it. Change me, Lord. Bless your name. Bless your name. Jesus, help us to let everything that we do be in honor of and even part of your beauty in Jesus' name because you gave us life. You give us your life. So, Lord, let your life flow through us. I thank you, Lord, even before three years ago, praying in this dingy sanctuary, just praying the beauty of Jesus. And I thank you for how it is seen now in a way that we couldn't see it then. I pray right now in Jesus' name for that blue room downstairs where the children are. Lord, you know, you know, you know, Lord God, what happened in the other room with installations for nine years. 
So I'm just praying right now over areas where evil has come, Lord Jesus, affected rooms. And Lord, right now, we pray the beauty of Jesus right into that. Amen. We pray the beauty of Jesus right now in any life right now that has had things done to them, to us, to souls, to hearts right now. And Lord, pray the beauty of Jesus right Amen. now. We ask right now, Lord God, that you would give new rooms, even as you repair the old places in yes, us. Lord. Let us move forward, Lord, with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we ask you for the Holy Spirit to come and make, by your grace, what seems impossible to man so smooth and so with ease and so filled with grace that we can be counted in as those who you share your innermost secrets. We thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you, Lord, even for the path that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, if you like prayer, feel free to come forward for prayer. And uh, we will have soaking time after this.